Hey everybody, my name is Anita Kirkbride of Torp Communications and this is Halablab, the show for small businesses in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Join me as I talk to businesses you may be following and some you might not have heard of yet. Hear stories from local business owners like you, how they started, where they're going, and of course, since I'm a social media consultant, how they're using social media. Take a moment to subscribe right now so you don't miss an episode, whether you're listening on Facebook, YouTube, or your favorite podcast platform. <coughs> hey, Halifax, welcome back to another episode of Halablab on another beautiful, cold Friday. Seems to be the uh, trend lately, super cold. Um, but we're going to be into spring soon, so that's always good here in Halifax, hopefully. Welcome to one of the last few episodes. We've got about four episodes left after today before we take a break for the summer. And I've got a great, really super interesting topic for you today with my guest, Victoria McIntosh from Information in Bloom Management Services. Um, if you are here watching us live and you hear something that you wanna comment on, please go ahead and type a comment in the comment section. If you are catching this on the podcast later, you've got a question, you can come over to Facebook, find the video and type it there, or you can tweet us, whatever you want to get the information. We'll put Victoria's information in here at the end for you so you can find her if you need her services. Um, yeah, and let's just, let's get started because I, I think I'm gonna have a ton of questions for you today. <laughs> so Victoria McIntosh is an information and privacy professional in Halifax, Nova Scotia holding a master's in library and information science, she puts the pieces together. On request, she will audit, assess, or inventory your data landscape. Victoria is also a certified information privacy technologist, bringing privacy expertise to her clients. Presently, she offers freelance consulting through her business, Information in Bloom Management Services. Welcome, Victoria. Thank you for having me. And even just reading your bio, I already have so many questions. So privacy is such a huge, it's not a, a buzzword really um, demeans how important it is, but it's such a, a big buzzword the last couple of years. So, okay, what does it mean to be an information privacy technologist? Let's start there. So to start with, uh, one thing I do advise my clients is that I'm actually not a lawyer. I can't, uh, I can read legislations, but I actually don't offer legal advice. What I tend to focus on is I'll be looking at your systems. I'll be going through and looking at your information life cycle. I'll be inventorying the information you're collecting. Um, I'll be looking at your processes, your procedures. Very much, I have a very practical approach to, okay, this is what I see the law says. How can we prove that you're doing things in good faith? How can we prove that you are taking privacy seriously? Um, and the exam for the uh, privacy technologist really got me in towards uh, information security, uh, much more conscious about different types of security attacks, uh, different ways to migrate. Uh, I've been very fortunate. We have an amazing security community here in Halifax. Um, but, uh, but by default, I maintain privacy and security are different things, but you, it does help to learn it. Things like how to encrypt and two-factor authentication are pretty critical to what I do. Okay, so already it's like, whoa, what does all that mean? <laughs> and I, I kind of sort of understand a little bit about that, but let's break it down. Re what, when you look at a business, when you maybe do an audit, 
what kinds of things, what kinds of processes are you looking at to help under, help them understand what's going on? So a lot of times my, my first call response basically is I'll start looking at what we call the information life cycle. And that comes again from that library information science point of view is, okay, what are you collecting? You know, talk to me about the information that you are asking your customers for. Does your app collect any information? Why are you collecting it? Why do you need it? Uh, you know, to realize that you don't want to be holding on to information that's not valuable. You don't want to be responsible for information that's not valuable. Um, and in some situations, you may be collecting information, but you have a different purpose. So why do you want that information? Are there better uh, sources of information, better ways we can actually address that? Uh, so from after collection, you move on to use. So again, what's the purpose? What are you going to use it for? What are your future uses? All right. Uh, do you, if you want to, it's perfectly legitimate to say, we, we're not able to do this now, but down the road, we want to be able to look at this type of situation. Are there questions we can ask? Are there uh, pieces of data that we should be collecting or not collecting because of that? Uh, a lot of times you get into what's called uh, dissemination, um, basically who you're sharing the information with. Uh, some organizations that can be internally, that can be just uh, who on staff needs access to that information to do their job. Uh, sometimes you may be outsourcing information. Uh, you may have contractors like myself coming in, perfectly fine. But again, who gets to see it? What can they do with it? Uh, make certain you understand what's going on. If, for example, you use another service, uh, make certain that the purpose of the information collecting, it, it works for you. Mm -hmm. So could this be as simple as helping people understand, helping a business understand what they should be doing with credit card information? Certainly when I'm starting, especially with the small businesses, I start with the building blocks. Uh, you know, before there are certainly uh, technical solutions. In fact, in case of credit cards, for a small business, I actually would recommend for them to use a third party. Um, use another company that actually processes the information because the big players, they have the technology. Mm -hmm. They have much better resources for security to make you feel safer. But for a small business, you might even need to know, okay, you know, is there any information I'm giving the company I'm working with? What am I responsible for? Mm -hmm. Trying to, uh, I maintain, I'm, I'm very into the documents and processes, not for the sake of doing it, but for the sake of evidence, mm -hmm. the, if somebody comes to you and says, hey, why are you doing this? Why did you make this decision? It tends to be very helpful to be able to pull up a document and say, this is why we did it. This is you know, what we agree to, what's going on there. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the biggest uh, surprises, I guess might be the right word, that, that you're finding in businesses? The things that really shake them and say, wow, I didn't realize we needed to or we were doing, or what are some of those big ones that we might need to think about? Uh, some of the surprises, a, a lot of times you're kind of, you kind of want to, you know, wrap it up and say, you really do need a privacy policy for your staff. Mm -hmm. um, I think possibly because there's some confusion. We see on a website, what's called a privacy policy, uh, which, which you need. You need something to tell your customers about what information you're using. But then you're coming along and saying, okay, first of all, you don't want it to be too complicated. You, you want people to understand what you're doing with the information. 
you also want your staff to understand what they can and can't do. One of the biggest security, one of the biggest privacy protection measures you can actually have is a good culture of people who understand their responsibilities, who are clicking, who are saying, saying to IT, hey, you know, I'm getting suspicious email here. Uh, I didn't click the link. Could you tell me what's going on here? Because that's how a lot of people get in. I, I'm just giggling because I can remember years ago, um, I knew an IT person who would have to go clean up computers and systems and you know, hospital-wide systems that all had been hacked or, or compromised because somebody clicked on an attachment in an email without thinking about it. So, It's uh, still in the industry. I mean, get, don't get me wrong, technology is amazing. I mean, you, you start to look at artificial intelligence systems and you're just wowed. Yeah. But the biggest, at the end of the day, something I stress to my users and my clients is that you're still dealing with human beings and that information is still going to be made, be worked with by human beings. Humans are making decisions. Humans are actually doing the processing. So if you don't have that connect, uh, for example, if you have a very clear policy and somebody comes to you and says, I can't do my job this way. You know, this tool takes me two hours to load. I can never do my job. They're going to find alternatives. They're going to find ways to do their work. So you need to take that into account. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the biggest things that you see is people don't have a privacy policy for their employees. Don't have a privacy policy for the employees. Um, I think usually by the time they brought me in, they start to understand a bit of the basics. Mm -hmm. uh, if they don't, certainly I, uh, I do recommend to clients things like the Privacy Commissioner of Canada, where they can start to get a better, um, lots of resources on what they need to know. So when I come in, I fine tune them. I'll come and say, hey, this is something you're doing. Can we make it better? Or, for example, clients going to Europe say, hey, you know, the European legislation is much more complex than the Canadian one. Here's some of the other things you're going to need to provide. Mm -hmm. So speaking of the European regulations, the GDPR, do, do, does every business in Canada need to be, say, GDPR compliant? Arguably, no, because the GDPR only applies if you collect data from European residents. Mm -hmm. So if you are a Canadian company, your only data is from Canadian sources. Um, I would typically ask then, are you public sector or private sector? Uh, if you work with the public sector, such as a province or the federal government, there's the Privacy Acts or provincial privacy legislations. If you're purely public, uh, private sector, PIBIDA, the catch is of course, especially particularly in your situation where we have websites, we're international, we got people visiting from all over the world. Well, guess what? Those residents visiting from Europe are expecting certain levels of privacy. Right. And the GDPR has incredible data jurisdiction. It really has quite, uh, quite strong language saying basically, if you want to have any interaction with European residents and their data, either you comply or you can have show us the contract of what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, it's it's huge in that end, and in that end, it's definitely had a huge worldwide impact. Would you say GDPR compliance is best practice, even if you don't need it? Um, it's a mix. I would definitely say there are things in the legislation I would like to see come to Canada. Mm -hmm. uh, notably, there are elements of the legislation which say you can't profile. So if I'm using personal data, for example, to decide if somebody is worthy of a home loan, 
I may not always be aware of the information that's being collected by that algorithm. I may be using information that shouldn't be part of the decision. Right. The GDPR makes it legal for you to fight that. Mm. Um, the flip side is that I know, uh, so Europe, of course, has the right to be forgotten, the idea of erasing mm. the information. I'm kind of on the fence with that. I see a lot of value to it, but I know it's not that easy. Mm -hmm. um, particularly, again, if you want to be, if you're a physician in Canada, for example, you have to keep records for so many years. So it's not, uh, these things don't tend to be very cut and dry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, there was a, there was a huge buzz when GDPR was coming out and everybody was talking about it and every website had to have it. But that's probably partly my industry too. Because like you said, I could have somebody from England or France or wherever downloading or buying my ebooks. So I need to be GDPR compliant. I don't honestly know if I am, what should I be looking for? <laughs> well, I'll tell you when the big panic came out, uh, one big laugh from well, two big laughs, I should say from the privacy professionals. One is we laughed at how much things heated up in April because we were like, you had two years to do it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, there was no secret about it. But what was surprising is how many attempts to comply actually felt like this is actually not the point. You know, getting people to emailing people and suddenly saying you need consent was not the point. Emailing and changing your privacy policy, it's like you kind of missed it. Yeah. Um, consent is uh, what the GDPR is basically is legal purposes, uh, what you can and can't do with information. And consent is one of the ways you can say, hey, I can use this information. But even then, consent is really detailed in the GDPR. Uh, mm. For example, if I was an employer, I can't just ask my employees to hand over, hand over all the information that they have and say, and I have their consent. Because the GDPR says, well, no, you have a power relationship there. Okay, that mm. person may have felt coerced to do it. Uh, for a website such as yourself, uh, so I do recommend uh, keeping those little cookie notices uh, where mm. be aware of what uh, tracking your website has, what cookies you have. The GDPR is not against cookies, especially like site cookies, uh, but people have the right to basically opt in to trackers. Uh, we have at least one situation in France where they've just revised it. The app downloaded and the moment the app started to run, the geo-tracking was actually part of the application. And so the judge kind of wrapped them on the head and said, hey, wait a minute, you never got acceptance. People never said, yes, I'm okay with this or the ability to opt out. Mm -hmm. The cases I'm seeing with GDPR tend to be a lot of, did your users understand what they were getting into? Did you make a reasonable effort to be as clear and open about your information practices as you could be? Do, do users ever really understand what they're giving access to? I, I'm well, wondering, but it's a serious question. Here's, here's the deal. It's, it's they don't always, uh, certainly, you know, certainly we, uh, we laugh because a lot of people do not read privacy policies. They, they, uh, we're seeing legislations actually kind of say, hey, you got to stop the legalese here. People don't understand. Mm -hmm. But the flip side is that if you sneak something in and nowhere was it available on your privacy policy, nowhere could anybody have found out about it, they will get angry. Uh, we Google uh, recently dealt a situation where I guess there was an Internet of Things device that shipped with a microphone, but nobody knew the microphone was there or was attached to Google. So suddenly it's like, wait a minute, what's going on here? You didn't tell us yeah. this. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of incidents are not so, it's, again, you're always, in any computer situation, 
you're dealing with trying to educate and communicate with the users, there's always going to be limits. You never know the background of who you're dealing with, but your efforts should be as open as you can. Mm -hmm. um, and from a privacy point of view, again, ask yourself, do I need that information? You know, is it really valuable to me? Uh, you know, everybody in the world might be doing this, but if everybody in the world you're looking at is Amazon, uh, Facebook, Google, the big companies, they're huge companies who not only can deal with much more value with this information, but they're not going to have to deal with as much many problems uh, if people say no. If you're a startup, if you're a small business, you're not going to get the pass that these larger organizations are for using data. You know, people are going to look for alternatives. Shouldn't it almost be the opposite? Wouldn't you think you should trust a startup more than you would trust maybe Facebook or Amazon? I don't know. It seems kind I, of backwards to me. I would say that uh, I would definitely trust more startups, especially if they, uh, if they are showing me that they're working on privacy. Mm -hmm. But again, if I were to sue a startup or if, uh, for example, uh, if you're start going to look for investors, you're going to have a harder time getting that, that investment. You're going to have a hard time getting that money in the first place. Mm -hmm. So having good privacy practices is more likely to help you. Whereas, again, a big company like Apple, they're not worried. You know, if, uh, you know, they might lose a bit of stock, but I don't think Apple will be shutting down anytime soon. So yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's not as huge a deal for them. And, and clearly Google wasn't too concerned either because it was, I think it was a Google device, wasn't it? That had the microphone? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, um, you know, Google already has got a fine on GDPR about 52 million, uh, which wow. most of us can't afford is what I tell my clients. I'm like, uh, pocket cool. change. Um, but Google has billions, hundreds of billions of dollars. So for them, it's not as big a concern. Mm -hmm. But again, if you were a startup, if you were a smaller company going to Europe, you probably can't afford to lose 4% of your annual revenue. That's, mm -hmm. you know, that's quite a, uh, quite a bit. So again, you kind of got to realize what's my situation here. You know, a little bit of extra care, a little bit of extra being aware of what's going on might really save my back pocket. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so far, let's go let's go back to Canadian companies because really that's we're in Canada. <laughs> we're in Canada. Um, if I'm a, a small business, like um, you know, significantly smaller than a Google or an Amazon or an Apple, <laughs> what so you've already said we need to have a privacy policy in place for our employees so that they know what's expected of them. Um, you're suggesting that, you know, the, the notices on the websites should probably stay, even though they're for GDPR more so than anything else. Well, that the cookie notice, except cookies is GDPR. The notice about what you do with the information, that's Canada too. Right. Canada's law says you have to be open about your privacy practices. So Canadians still have a right to know what's going on. Okay. What else do we need to be concerned about as a small business? Pay attention to your safeguards. Uh, if you are collecting uh, certainly sensitive information, but really personal information, I do recommend encrypting it. Mm -hmm. uh, if, if practices such as asking, you know, hey, maybe I shouldn't be uh, putting this information publicly. You're in social media. So if I'm dealing with a team um, that has active social media presence, which they should, frankly, uh, no excuse for a business not to be on social media. But it's not a bad idea to have a policy of what information can't go on social media. You definitely do not want a situation, mm. a bad PR moment, 
where somebody, Netflix, for example, did an example where they made a joke about uh, what people were watching on, based on their analyx, uh, analytics yeah. on Twitter. And it kind of woke people up. It was like, you know, we weren't maybe paying attention to that as much. Mm-hmm. So you, you certainly as a small business don't want your employees to make a joke and say, oh, hey, we're really sorry for these, all these people who are, uh, you know, in the cold in New Brunswick right now uh, uh, without kind of people being aware, hey, you've got my location data. What else do you see? What else is going on there? And from a user perspective, I mean, gosh, it's really hard to turn off all of that stuff that you're giving away constantly because we use those services so much. It is, and it's something that uh, I think this is one of the reasons why privacy is kind of growing more recently, why the conscious is growing, is because the thing is, it's very new. Uh, it's all this technology is very, you know, having cameras in our home, uh, having facial recognition technologies almost becoming mainstream now, like it's right in our faces. And we're just now learning the consequences. We're just starting to see the situations of somebody saying, shoot, that really hurt me. And I, you know, I had no way of knowing that. Mm. Uh, we have the... Uh, I was just going to say, I, I, that's how I feel about Facebook in general, is that, you know, Facebook is only, is it 14, 15 years old now? 15, I guess, almost 16 And really, we're just now starting to see the ramifications of what all the data is that Facebook can collect on us. I don't think, I I honestly don't think Mark Zuckerberg is out to maliciously harvest our data. I think it got away from him. I mean, I don't think anybody could predict where and how this was going to go. And now he, he and Facebook have to play catch up. But I think we underestimate just how big and quickly and far-reaching this has has come in the last few years, especially. Well, it, it's only put this way. Again, I'm an information person, and we are so used to saying how information is power. I mean, you know, companies invest big money in collecting this information and the ability to use it. So, if that information is so powerful, why are we just giving it away? Why are we just okay with the world knowing? Again, it's kind of a little bit of an oxymoron. I'm not sure if that's Mm. a word I want to use. It's like, yeah, it is powerful and you need to realize that. Mm. Uh, In the case of uh, Facebook, you're right. I don't think it was, it's malicious. Uh, I do think it's uh, a little bit of, okay, you need to wake up now. Yeah. Uh, Certainly they, I'm at a point with Facebook. I I mentioned I've so I've deleted my Facebook, which I, don't recommend for most businesses because it is the second largest uh, face, uh, second largest search engine in the world. So for most businesses, if you want to be seen, it's like, yeah, you should probably be on Facebook, but I do privacy. I know that if I could look at a, a little timeline, I would see the number of times they said, whoops, we have a privacy breach. We're sorry. We'll fix it. Whoops, we had a privacy breach. We're sorry. You know, it, it, for me, it felt like, okay, it's like a bad relationship. Okay, enough. I've had enough of her. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, like I say, that's for me in my particular industry. Certainly, as a consumer, I would love to see more tools that are more mainstream that I can see the efforts of protecting privacy because that gives me options. Mm-hmm. You know, I uh, the question of if you have a choice, uh, for example, uh, Sync uh, is a cloud provider provider here in Canada. Uh, yeah, it's uh, 
encrypted information. And again, it's a choice and it was easy for me to make. I was like, hey, you know, rather than using these other cloud providers where the information's, you know, might be read a little bit too often, might be a little too accessible, I want it encrypted. I want to do what I want to do. Uh, Proton Mail is another one. If uh, anybody's looking for a free encrypted email tool, uh, you can. Uh, you, it's a little bit uh, cumbersome sometimes to get in because you have to give it basically two passwords. Um, but uh, but if you've got sensitive information, it's a better way to use it. Hmm. Interesting. I haven't heard of Proton Mail. I, I use Sync because my graphic designer used sync and that's where she puts all my stuff but uh, what about google i use google drive and most i use sync a little bit but most of my stuff's in google drive i feel like microphone issue aside i feel like google's pretty trustworthy am i am i out to lunch on this one <laughs> no um i use google as well i have a google drive but the real key and again getting back to the idea of having a policy is that i know there are some things that don't go on google drive so I always have a question of how sensitive is this information? Mm -hmm. uh, if it's a signed contract, certainly if it's work for clients, it doesn't go in Google Drive. It's just, uh, it's just a matter of, you know what? It's, uh, you're, you're going on their situation, their turf, their terms. Yeah. Uh, the flip side, however, is, so for example, I do some writing. A lot of, uh, I've written for, on technology blogs. We use Google Drive uh, to do edits to go back and forth yeah. on that one. It's eventually going to be public information. There's no harm there. Right. Uh, you know, photos that you're eventually going to share to Instagram, but you want to put on Google Drive for a while. Again, no harm. You know it's going to go public at some point. Yeah, I, I, I'll leave the question of more sensitive photos because I'm of the opinion of maybe you shouldn't have taken in the first place, but that's me. Listen, I'm with you. I, you know, people say, well, you know, everybody does that. And I'm like, no, no, not everybody takes picture, nude pictures for people. Like I, there is not a nude picture of me out there anywhere. Now I've just really dared somebody to go make one, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, don't do yourself a favor. Don't start switching up deep fakes. Uh, that's the new, uh, that's the new yeah. trend. False faces. That's, uh, that's terrifying. I, I have looked at some of that stuff and that is, that really is terrifying, but that's a whole, we're, we're going to stay away from that one for today. That's a more, more grounded term that, so the security, a local security conference, uh, somebody did a presentation actually on some of the sensitive information people put on Instagram. And it was mind blowing because it's like, you know, your, your photos, your home, you're having a great day. That's wonderful. Maybe you shouldn't take photos of your checks Maybe you shouldn't take those oh. of your bank cards. Yeah, uh, you know things that the I, you know the uh, it's tax season is coming upon us. You know, uh, working for environmentalist groups, uh, they're very concerned about endangered animals getting their photos online because a lot of people won't turn off the metadata. So yeah. you will have a photo of an endangered animal with the exact geographic location of where it is. Yeah, and and poachers do go after that stuff. Yeah. When uh, my sister and I went to Africa uh, two, two and a half years ago now, and we did a safari in the Serengeti and they, well, she was trying to tell everybody, the guides weren't telling us that, but she was telling us, you need to turn off your location data if you're posting these. And the other people in our tour are like, mm, yeah, whatever, there's park rangers. Now we, it's uh, the situation in, uh, I think it was India where a, a database of endangered tigers was hacked 
I think they, uh, I think they were able to uh, at least uh, resolve the situation. But again, it's information's power to somebody out there was saying, hey, this is really valuable stuff. Mm. Uh, I talk to companies about when they have health information, just a heads up, it's like, you know what? Health records actually sell for money on the black market. So it is valuable. Wow. Uh, whether you think it's a, a value to you or not, you need mm -hmm. to pay attention to that. So Mary Jane's watching here and she's asking, why are we so unconscious about sharing things like photos of bank cards? What are people thinking? I've seen them. I've seen photos of credit cards with all the information available for somebody to easily steal their, you know, teenager or, well, older teenager got my first credit card or here's my driver's license or what, why is it that we don't realize we shouldn't do this? I think it's a combination of groupthink and a combination of it'll never happen to me. Mm. Uh, the same as when you're driving a car uh, or you're walking down the streets, uh, you know, we've all taught our, our kids, please look both ways. Uh, you know, please don't text mm -hmm. and drive situation, but mm -hmm. it takes a little while to permeate. It could happen to you, you know, mm -hmm. be aware of these situations. And again, in the case of media where a lot of people are sharing these things, a lot of people are, you're already seeing out there, you can say, well, what's the harm? You know, what's the harm with me? Uh, and this is again, where some businesses have kind of gotten troubled because they don't realize their customers are different from somebody else's customers. Uh, you know, just because you're, you're hopping on a popular them might sound cool, but for what your business does, it may be a big mistake. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm thinking back to, I think it was about two weeks ago. It got, I, I try to tell clients and everybody, even people who aren't clients to have really good passwords, make them difficult. Uh, I'm not into password managers, but I know those are a good thing. They are a good thing. Um, they are a good thing. But uh, about two weeks ago, a, a local Halifax cafe, they got their Facebook page hacked. They had a huge following. They, their page was hacked. Their page was, um, they kicked out all of their admins, changed the page name, and now they've got this Facebook page with over half a million fans that they can sell to the highest bidder. Now, some of us are sitting here thinking, well, why would I want that page, right? Why would I want? Why would somebody in India want a page with 500,000 Canadian fans, but people buy that stuff and that's why hackers do it. So what, I guess where I'm going with this is it can happen. It does happen in Halifax. That's not the first one. It's just the most recent one I can think of. What, what's your advice for businesses who you, you've already said they need to be on social media. It's a good place to be. So how would you suggest small businesses um, protect themselves, I guess. I would say you really want to start looking at incident protocols. Uh, you want to have a response plan, same as how you teach your employees if there's a fire, what exit to go out. Uh, you know, have a plan that can limit who is going to talk to the press. Uh, you know, people asking questions, what's the official response? Uh, who is going to get on these things right away? What needs to be done immediately? Uh, privacy wise, again, if you're doing business in Europe, and you get a hack, you've got 72 hours to mm. tell customers their information has been, uh, you know, has been compromised. That's not a lot of time. And when you're panicking, you know, you really want to have an idea of, okay, this is how we're going to handle things ahead of time. Here in Canada, we also have, as of November, you do have to report to your customers if there is belief that the information can put, cause significant harm. Mm -hmm. So if the information you say, you know what, this could be used for identity theft, you are responsible for telling your customers. Uh, 
you don't have the 72 hours timeline, you get a little bit more breathing room than that, but you should still be thinking about it. And as part of the law, you are supposed to record that breach. You're supposed mm -hmm. to have a list and say, on this and this day, this is what happened here and this was our response. Mm -hmm. uh, I know from my own experience, uh, I haven't, thankfully, I feel like knocking on wood, haven't uh, dealt with too much on that end yet. But of course, we've all had the situations where my laptop just suddenly decided one day, I'm not going to work with you. And mm -hmm. to suddenly say, okay, I was really glad that I back up my data. <laughs> That uh, that I keep that as a regular practice because mm -hmm. I end up testing uh, testing my incident plan and thankfully I didn't lose anything. Yeah. But that is well, that right there is why I keep pretty much everything on Google Drive and sync and and those types of things so that you know my computers don't last very long because I use them twenty four seven. So when my computer dies unexpectedly, which has happened, I need to be able to access stuff from a new computer right away. I can't wait two or three days for Geek Squad or whoever to bring me back my data. Exactly. Yeah. Ransomware, which is another uh, lovely term where somebody mm. will get into your computer and basically encrypt everything and say, pay me or you're never seeing your data again. A backup is your best defense. Yeah. And say, okay, I'm going to erase my disk and I've got all my information right here and maybe we're going to upgrade, upgrade our security so this doesn't happen again. Yeah. I've actually known people that uh, were victims of ransomware. Um, yeah, that's that's that can be scary. Um, okay, so Mary Jane's asking again, why she's skeptical about password managers. And I guess perhaps that's why I haven't done it as well. Why are password managers so much safer? So the, I, I guess at the end of the day, the reason is because you can't be expected to remember every single password you create. You know, let, let's be practical. We're human beings here. Um, but the flip side is way more dangerous to be using, reusing the same password over and over again. Uh, there is a, a website, uh, Have I Been Pawned, P-W-N-D, I believe, where you'll check and find out if you've been part of a data breach. And you can imagine saying, shoot, I was part of a data breach. They've got my password. And I use that password in every other service. Suddenly mm -hmm. they've accessed everything. If you have a password manager, you're more inclined to create unique passwords. Uh, you're, you've, you've got them safe spots. So you're not going to forget them as often. Um, there are some weaknesses, but most security people will agree that they're, for your average user, it's much safer than trying to again reuse the same password over and over again uh, or you know, writing, writing them down. I go into, uh, go into client offices sometimes and I'll see the password on the sticky or I'll see the password uh, right there in front of me and I'll be like, please don't show me this. You know, I don't didn't need to see that today. But, and the other cool thing, I, again, I don't use a password manager and I know I should be Kim, my, my HelloBlob assistant. So it has told me a couple of times I should be using one. I have to share my passwords. Clients have to share their passwords with me so that I can manage their social media. A password manager eliminates that, right? It can. It can. Yeah. And the other big, uh, the other big thing that really for just about anything you can have is if you have two-factor authentication. Uh, we're seeing this again. Mm -hmm. It's not. It, it, it's not uh, a fix it for everything. Uh, net. You, you learn quickly in, in security and privacy, never underestimate users, never underestimate uh, hackers, but it makes it harder. Mm -hmm. uh, I've yeah. spoken to some clients about saying, well, all of your staff is located in Canada. 
maybe you should have some kind of part of the authentication that says you're trying to access from outside the country what's going on here yeah again every little piece helps yeah and i can remember clients you know i'm going to san diego for social media marketing world in a couple of weeks and i will log into accounts from there and i have you know in the past years i have had clients send me an email saying i just got a login from san diego is that you yes it's me so that kind of stuff is is good and i know there have been times on my website there have been times with instagram where i've had those messages pop up on my phone or on my in my email saying looks like you're having trouble logging into your account is this you kind of thing so exactly it's I, I hesitated to do the two-factor authentication because it's annoying but it would you know be what? more annoying if I got hacked and lost my 500,000 Facebook fan page. Might be a little problem, exactly. I uh, I maintain for the annoyance. It's like if you like to travel, you typically, not uncommon for me to tell my bank, hey, just so you know, I'm going to a different country. If somebody makes a purchase, that's me. Mm -hmm. um, you know, same situation because, you know, you just want to keep an eye on things. I get uh, reports from my website regularly about all the people from different countries who've tried to log in and uh, usually they don't even have the username right so i'm just like okay deep breaths yeah yeah well yeah i think after this conversation i'm going to have to invest in a uh, password manager i'm feeling a little uh vulnerable I, now I that's a good call <laughs> yeah is there one that's better than others uh i mentioned last pass to a few people just because that one tends to be well known yeah. Um, and again, when it comes to security, interestingly enough, I do go with the bigger players because the bigger players have more money. They have much more to lose. Mm -hmm. If something goes wrong, they're much more likely to update things fast. So not against open source software uh, for a lot of things. Open source is amazing, but for security, go with the people who have the resources and who want to be public about it and you know, go with the people where if something went wrong, the world knows about it, so they fix it very fast. A password manager is probably not a good time to try a brand new app that only has a couple thousand downloads. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if people even look at that when they're doing things. I mean, I just downloaded a new app the other day. Um, and yeah, it's only got a few, well, more than 10,000 downloads, but you know, only a few thousand really in the grand scheme of things. So. I'm very conscious of having that on there and wondering if, if it's doing anything, if you know, but it's something I need. So it's uh, learn your settings for whatever device you have, uh, your phone, your Android, whatever settings that will tell you, uh, learn about them, keep an eye on them. Mm -hmm. uh, we, again, we're seeing, we're seeing apps that are in the app store that Apple hasn't had the time yet to vet yet, which we're finding out actually these access information that they shouldn't be. Right. Uh, I know the the Europeans, uh, the e-privacy directive, which is kind of supposedly going to follow the GDPR, is a legislation coming up that they want to ensure the security of these apps, uh, the security of the information. It's not on the books yet. And by the time it gets on the books, um, well, again, in the case of some of those apps, if it's malicious, they won't care. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so what are your, what we've probably talked about it, but if you want to recap, what are your best tips for privacy, maybe for a business and then for a person? For a business, really get grounded. Again, ask yourself, what information am I using? 
Uh, what do I want to do? Where's it going? Uh, you're, you know, one of the biggest weak points is going to be your team, but they can also be your biggest strength. Mm -hmm. So if you can find ways to really encourage a culture where people are conscious of the information they're handling, they're, they're paying attention to their movements, you're going to be that much stronger. Likewise for individuals, it's, uh, you know, be aware, you know, decide for yourself what's personal information, what's not. Uh, be aware when you're downloading uh, devices, when you're downloading apps, what's mm -hmm. going on there. Uh, there are, you know, if you're a fan of TechCrunch or Wired, there uh, the news is all over these days. Uh, and it is possible to avoid some of the sensationalism, find a good tech writer you like. Uh, I, use, I use Twitter for that. I follow a lot of other privacy professionals, security professionals, just because that way when things uh, happen, I'm aware of it. I know what's mm -hmm. going on. Mm -hmm. um, you were saying when you're downloading apps and so on to, to be careful and know what you're doing. I think a lot of people don't even look. They just, yeah, okay, access, access, access. And sometimes when you, if you actually stop and read what you're giving access to, does this, you know, camera filter app really need access to your address book? Mm, probably not. Exactly. So I encourage people to read what those things are that they're giving access to. They're uh, really good advice I was once given with all of these situations is to have a moment to stop. All right. If somebody sends you an email, somebody sends you a text and it's urgent, stop. Okay. You've downloaded an, an app and you're about to get to work. Uh, you know, stop for a minute, take a look at the privacy policy. If you're not sure, Google the app and Google privacy and see if there are other people have made comments on this before. Uh, again, hopefully we're going to see more um, applications have privacy policies in plain language. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm of the opinion you should not have to be a lawyer to understand these, but I know sometimes that's how they're written. Uh, but, you know, there are huge communities out there who are looking at these things. Mm -hmm. and, and look at your own settings and say, hey, this app has access to my address book. Why does it need that? Yeah. And I think a lot of people don't realize you can actually, even if you downloaded an app two years ago, if it's still hooked up to your Facebook, you can go into the app settings in Facebook and you can say, uh, you can change them. So if you wanted to today go through all of the, you'd be surprised, probably hundreds of apps that you have over the years given access to your Facebook data, you could go through each one and you can change the settings of what it has access to. In some cases, um, you know, when I'm teaching workshops and we're hooking up Hootsuite or we're hooking up Buffer or BeLive that I'm doing this broadcast on, it needs to have access to your camera. It needs to have access to your pages and certain kinds of data. So some of those programs you do have to give access, but other programs are just kind of asking for everything in the hopes they get it and they don't necessarily need it. So a security audit is probably a pretty good idea, at least annually, even though it takes a bit of time. Um, the other thing you can do is just go in and delete any apps that you're no longer using, so they just don't have access to your data anymore at all. If uh, certainly, if uh, if you're doing it, again, if you're collecting a lot of private information, you're very concerned. Uh, there are things such as the privacy impact assessments, uh, such as people myself will literally will go through the legislation, we'll walk through diagrams of what you're collecting, what you're doing. Uh, one, uh, who are you thinking? Uh, you made me think of something. <laughs> <laughs> that happens. Um, say, be conscious of your apps. Oh, 
Um, in Canada, as part of the privacy legislation, you actually have to make certain that your customers have access to their data and that they can update it. That's actually part of, uh, part of PIPIDA. And my response when I see that is, well, of course, uh, first of all, people have the right to know what information you have on them. Mm -hmm. But also from a data perspective, you don't want to be making decisions from bad data. You don't want to be, you know, you don't want to be spending the money saving it, uh, processing it, all that stuff, and find out you're dealing with incorrect information. So always look and say, how can I make certain that I can encourage people to keep this information as up to date as possible? That way, I'm not making incorrect assumptions. Uh, that way, for example, maybe you know I'm not touching on sensitive issues because I know not to. Yeah. Okay, lots of really good information for people today about things to think about for their privacy. Linda's watching. Linda's saying there is just not enough time in our lives to read all those privacy statements. I kind of agree, but we're taking uh, our chances. <laughs> we're yeah. taking our chances if we don't. I, so. uh, a colleague once posted a, a sample that basically looked like the nutrition label of a box. Mm -hmm. I think that's what they, sh they need to be better at. Be like same as going to a grocery store. You pick up. You say this much. How much fat? This is how much sugar. You know why can't privacy notices be the same way? Say this yeah. is how much I'm collecting. This is who gets to see it. Or you know, I'm sure there are probably some out there where they're having a little bit of fun with it, but it's still very clear and easy to understand what you're giving them and what they're going to do with it. I mean, if we could just get a little bit creative, I'm <laughs> random, they, they just, and that's from a privacy standpoint, that's the ideal. Because yeah. if you have something that people can read easily, they can understand easily. Uh, again, if somebody understands you're using their information and for the purpose, you know, I give my my uh, account and my finance records. She needs that to do her job. I'm fine right. with it. It's yeah. the hidden stuff, the back doors. The I didn't know you were going to share it with these people. You know, yeah. I didn't know you were my best friend who I was going to tell a secret, and then you gossiped around the world. You know, that's what we need to be conscious about. Yeah. Or I didn't know that if I went shopping on this website, you were going to show me ads for years about the pair of shoes I was looking at. Exactly. Like, I, exactly. I'm constantly explaining that to people because they don't realize they have actually given permission for that. Well, and in that situation, again, I asked you asked about, you know, is it important? You know, why does it matter? And my answer is we're learning. Um, mm. We have situations where people, for example, you, you had a miscarriage and now you're getting constantly ads about the new baby. Like you can yeah. imagine how that feels. Yeah. It's one of the struggles of privacy. And one of the things we need to be conscious of is we're not dealing with data of inanimate objects. You're dealing with human beings. You're dealing with human beings who have complex lives, complex backgrounds. You need to respect the data. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay, so I usually end the show by asking, and we've talked a bit about social media already, but how how are you using social media? You're not using Facebook. You've already said that. So how are you using social media for your business? So for my business, the big three, uh, first, I do use Instagram, which I'm fully aware Facebook owns, but uh, you will pry that away from my cold fingers. It's become a very happy place, uh, personally. And it's become a challenge for my business because I'm not very visual in what I do. So trying to make it visual has been a business challenge. I use LinkedIn a lot. LinkedIn is a really good way to casually keep up to date with the, with clients and contacts, good way to find out what's in the know. I'm huge on Twitter, both for sharing information. And again, it lets me tap into the network, find out what people are talking about, find out, oh, hey, 
you know, this, uh, here's the regulation and here's what somebody did and get wrapped on the knuckles. I'm going to go to my client who I know is doing something similar and say, hey, we're going to fix this because now I know what people are looking at. Mm. So you're using it more from an educational perspective, maybe than a promotional perspective. Definitely. Uh, I write, uh, I write blogs, but promotion is something I admit personally, I still need to get better at. You can imagine the privacy person being told to share information. is <laughs> uh, is is something it's just, uh, it's like you're a business owner, you know, you got to do this, but it's, uh, it's going against my, my internal, I just want to be quiet and do my work. Well, I mean, lots of lots of business owners feel that way the same. You're, you're definitely not alone there. But I can see how it would be a struggle for the privacy person. Yeah, yeah, trying to uh, trying to find the balance of sharing everything and getting people on board, but still making certain that your confidential information never touches uh, touches any of that. And I know I'm following you on uh, Instagram and I commented on something you posted the other day that kind of scared me. So and I promised we'd talk about it today. So here's an example of how um, conversations get started on there, even with information that is maybe not so visual, but it's a post that says 85% of Chrome apps and extensions lack privacy policies. I am a huge supporter of Chrome. I love Chrome and I love Chrome extensions. And I have, I'm looking at my screen here, at least five that I can see on my screen and a bunch of others that are kind of running in the background. So now I'm scared. What do I do about this? Uh, my, uh, my professional advice would be more akin of being very conscious of what you're collecting. My personal advice is actually switch to Brave. <laughs> um, I switch to, uh, it, it basically uses the same uh, technical architecture as Chrome. In fact, you can import all your bookmarks, everything from Chrome. Um, I, I swayed the switch recently because, again, I felt like, okay, I, I need Chrome. I use, uh, I like to have a browser that's for my business that I'm using, uh, using for business information. But I'm not happy with the information collection practices. I'm not happy with what I'm seeing about my privacy. And for me, being in the industry, I need to do better. So I, like I say, I switched to Brave. On my phone, I use Firefox Focus, which I absolutely love because it means I can ask any kind of question and I don't come, I don't come up to five different tabs when I return about that question. Uh, Firefox is another really good one. If you're, uh, if anybody has Firefox, the uh, Mozilla Foundation, they have, have shown an interest in privacy. They, you know, it is, they're aware of it and they do want to do better. So it's, uh, I, it, it's a tough call. Again, some apps, they work better with Chrome you may have situations where it's like, there's no better alternative. Chrome is the way to go. But if that's the case, you just say, okay, well, maybe I don't do everything on Chrome. Maybe I use it for this purpose. I'm a big, uh, again, data governance. We tend to segment our work. So I'll be like, okay, maybe I've got a profile for my Facebook stuff on Chrome, but maybe my personal shopping I'm going to do on Firefox. So it's not following me around. Right. So when you saw that this particular interview had to happen on Chrome, you probably went, no, <laughs> the Chrome part didn't, uh, didn't bug me. The believe TV wants to want me to log into Facebook that I was just like, yeah. Oh boy. I, uh, I had to find the, it, thankfully it allows uh, another service to log in. So it's, uh, like say for a business, you know, Facebook is where people are. You need to be on Facebook for people to find you really. Um, but that's really frustrating to me because I just don't trust Facebook. 
I don't know if anybody trusts them, but I do trust that I don't, I don't believe they've been malicious about it. Naive, perhaps. <laughs> Most well, they, I, I think they're getting to the point of, uh, you're like, okay, it was cute and I could forgive you when you were a little kid. You're now a teenager. It's time to, you know, put on the, you know, get dressed up properly, get to, you know, enter the real world kind of situation. Um, but uh, the good news is people are becoming aware. Uh, I tell people the greatest impact I have seen about this general data protection regulation in Europe is it's got people talking. Yeah. It's got people much more conscious about what's going on. And I think the more people become conscious, the more they realize either we stand up and we protect this or we will lose it. You're going to see a lot of hopefully small businesses and other businesses say, hey, I can be really competitive if I have privacy because people actually do want that. They would rather that choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that's a great place to end. We're going to encourage people to be a little more conscious of what they're doing with their passwords, with their data, the data they're collecting. And um, hopefully we've educated a few more people today about what they need to be concerned about. And, and we'll see fewer and fewer breaches as we go. That's yeah. <laughs> My fingers are crossed on that one. <laughs> fingers crossed. Thank you so much for joining me today, Victoria, to talk about your business in data um, I've already forgotten the term data protection, privacy assessments, all of that. I'm sure it's fun for you. It doesn't sound so fun to me, but I'm glad there's somebody like you out there who is helping the world with this. There are days where I'm kind of like, why am I doing this? And days where I get into it and I'm just like, this is why you're doing this. <laughs> I think all entrepreneurs feel that some days. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining me and thank you to everybody who uh, watched the live broadcast today and commented and uh, we'll come back through and we'll uh, answer your comments and questions in a few minutes. If, um, if you're around on Friday afternoons, we have a few episodes left. I'd love for you to join me live on Facebook at 1.30 p.m. Atlantic at Twerp Communications on Facebook to watch the live version. Or if you prefer, we also have the podcast version and you can catch that wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to everybody for joining today and I hope you stay safe and social. Thanks for listening this week. You can catch the Halablab live every Friday at 1.30 p.m. Atlantic, 12.30 p.m. Eastern on the Twerp Communications Facebook page or catch the replay on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. You can go to twerp.ca for links to everything we mentioned in this episode. And while you're there, you'll probably want to grab one of the freebies available to help small businesses manage their own social media marketing. If you run a small business in the Halifax area and you'd like to be featured on Halablab, we would love to hear from you. Drop us a line at info at twerp.ca. That's info at twirp.ca. Talk to you next week.